Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. So this week I've had a little bit of a, a side project, something that has been Uh, kind of occupying the corners of my mind. I wanted to know how microwave ovens worked. And so like anybody in this situation where you want to know how a microwave oven works, my first sort of instinct was to go to Wikipedia and read the microwave oven webpage. It was not a ton of help. (laughs) It was very technical. Um didn't understand. So I started Googling, right? I started going, okay, is there some like explain this like I'm five of microwaves? Um, Nothing. I'm still pretty unsure what happens when I put my leftover queso um, into the magic box. All I know is it comes out hot. Apparently, there is something inside your microwave called a magnetron, um, which I thought was the ride that our parents used to let us go on at the fair. Um, But there's a magnetron which converts electricity into microwaves that cooks the food by exciting the molecules in water. I mean, of course, that makes all the sense in the world. but, But really, what I took away were two lessons. I took away this. First, magnets. How do they work? I don't know. Um, Secondly, I am very content in believing that the microwave is powered by some sort of sorcery or otherworldly powers, and it works. So I'm just going to be content um, in that. The reason I was thinking about microwaves is because there's so much a picture of the cultural moment that we live in. Uh, We can have everything we want in a shockingly short amount of time. Uh, You want soup? Give me 90 seconds. I got you covered. Uh, How about this? My son wanted a new book. And he was, you know, really, he finished his old book. We buy books for the kids. And he finished it, and four hours later, the next book in the series was on our porch. Need a new job? There is a host of websites that promise to get you placed in no time flat. Astoundingly quick. So many things in our lives have been edited to get them to us as soon as the whim strikes us. I actually, as I was writing this, realized that I lost uh, my favorite pen. But don't worry, that favorite pen of mine will be at my house tomorrow, um, fully replaced and just fine. We can have it in minutes delivered straight to our door. But the speed of everything, the speed of everything around us has actually warped our view of our faith. Christianity is a slow and methodical journey. There are no shortcuts. There are no speed boosts. You cannot microwave your faith. There is no Instacart for Christianity. And this causes a number of problems for us because we perceive our lives as dominated by Amazon Prime and Instacart and microwaves. First of all, we forget, and it leads us to be impatient with others. We oftentimes think that others should be maturing at a more rapid rate than they are. And when they don't, I don't like it. And so we become impatient with others, but not just the unrealistic expectations of how fast God is going to mature others, 
Many of us have unrealistic expectations of how fast our faith is going to grow. And so we get frustrated. We begin to struggle with doubts when God doesn't deliver maturity to us on demand as soon as we want it. But God is in the business of slowly shaping us, slowly shaping all of us as his community into a family. And he's doing this by growing the fruit of the spirit in our lives. It's no accident that so many times when the Bible talks about our maturing in the faith, so many times when the Bible talks about our Christian growth, it does that with, with agricultural analogies. Growing fruit is slow and painstaking work. It is something you have to work after. I was talking to some one of you uh, this week who had planted a lemon tree and was worried that the frost last week was going to wipe out all of the hard work that they had done on this lemon tree. It is slow, grinding work. And even though we can't expect microwaved Christian maturity, we can have hope and certainty that God is at work in our lives, that God is doing something. God saves us in order to grow us. It's just a slower business than we care to admit. And this is true of us, just as true as it was for the Apostle Paul. And so this morning, I want to read to you Galatians uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And one of the things we're going to see is the painstaking and slow way that God grew the Apostle Paul. And so if you're able, I'd invite you to stand with me uh, as I read God's word to us. Then after 14 years, I went up to Jeruse again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. Yet because of false, because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been uh, for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised, worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. City Church is the word of God written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated.
Paul continues sort of laying out his biography in the book of Galatians. And as I mentioned last week, oftentimes when we read the book of Acts, we get the wrong perception that the events of the book of Acts happened sort of one right after another. Luke is not super concerned uh, with giving us timestamps and the dates that things happened. He's more concerned with telling the story as a whole. And so because of that, Luke doesn't mention when he makes large time jumps. But as we read here and as we read last week, Paul waited for three years after his conversion to go to Jerusalem and meet with Peter and James for the first time. And then as I just read, you saw that he waited another 14 years to go back and visit the people of Jerusalem. That means, because this happens before Paul goes on his first missionary journey, that there was at least 17 years between Paul's conversion and Paul going out on his missionary work, probably more. Even the Apostle Paul, who had seen Jesus face to face, face, even the Apostle Paul, who communed with God on Mount Sinai, even the Apostle Paul, who would go on to write the most books of the New Testament, didn't get microwaved faith. Paul was formed slowly in his Christian life. God took his time to make Paul who, he's, who he was calling him to be. And not only did Paul experience this slow growth, experience this slow progression of his faith, this grinding faith, but he also instilled that in his disciples as well. Because of that same way that our brain sort of warps the book of Acts into thinking that it comes just one thing after another and there's no time gaps at all, the, the same thing happens when we think about the story of Titus. We just sort of assume, assume that Titus shows up, he does some things with Paul, and then he goes and plants the church on Crete. But that's not the case. It seems that Titus was one of Paul's first Gentile converts. That's why he's able to take Titus with him to Jerusalem in our passage this morning. This is the first time that Titus shows up chronologically in the Bible. And if this, if this lines up with Acts chapter 11, which it does, this story happens sometime in the year 46 or 47 AD which means that if Paul writes his letters to Timothy and Titus in the mid to late 60s, that it's 20 years between Titus' conversion and Titus being sent out to plant the church in Crete. It was intentionally slow. It was intentionally non-microwaved, non-instacarted. Beloved, we can't get in too much of a hurry and we can't out-hurry God. Our slow and careful times with God are far more important than the fast and big things we do for God. God cares much more about our contemplation than our accomplishments. And so this slow, steady progression is what happens in the life of Paul and the life of Titus. And so they find themselves in Jerusalem. And why they're there is there to deliver money that has been raised by the church in Antioch, the church that Paul and Barnabas and Titus are a part of. They collected funds to help meet the needs of the church in Judea. And so while Paul's there, Paul says that he met with the apostles to make sure that he hadn't run or was not running in vain. And if we aren't careful, we can mistake what Paul is saying there in verse 2. If we're quick in our reading, we might think that Paul is, is going with them to check his work and make sure they're preaching the same gospel. But that doesn't line up with what we've read in Galatians so far, does it? 
Paul has already said in the book of Galatians that he is confident in the gospel that he is preaching because he didn't receive it from man. He received it from Jesus himself. He's so confident in his teaching of the gospel that he condemns to hell anybody who preaches another gospel. Paul isn't worried about getting the message right. What he's really concerned about is if the church in Judea is understanding the implications of the gospel for the church outside of Jewish territory. If Peter and James are preaching Jesus and saying, you also need to convert to Judaism, then what you're going to end up with is two separate and disunified churches. One where you have to be circumcised, one where you don't. One full of Jews, one full of Gentiles. Paul says, if, if we're not all on the same page here, we're doing two different things. He's not worried his message is wrong. He's worried that the unity in the body of Christ is going to be torn apart. In fact, that actually seems like the whole reason he brought Titus along. Titus was sort of a lightning rod in a test case. Paul brings to the church in Jerusalem that is made up almost entirely of Jews, he brings this Gentile convert to the Christian faith. And what are they going to do? What are the apostles going to say about this outsider, about this pagan who has now trusted in Jesus? Well, they didn't have him get circumcised. They didn't insist that he began to follow the Jewish law. They treated him as a full brother in Christ, even though he didn't follow the Mosaic codes. They understood that the boundary marker that sets apart Christians, that sets apart Christians is faith, not the moral law, not adherence to what Moses had said, but faith in Jesus, the Messiah. So Paul brings Titus and the apostles affirm, yes, this is a true and full Christian just like anybody else. But Paul's concern that people are going to get this wrong, that people are going to insist on conversion to Judaism, isn't unfounded. Paul's not crazy. Because what happens as the story unfolds is that false brothers, false teachers make an appearance. We don't know necessarily, the Bible's not clear on where they came from. The Bible's not clear on if they were sort of sponsored by anybody or, or connected to anybody, but it says that they were secretly brought in, that they stole in. The language is like they came in the side door. Or, or maybe, maybe if you were somebody who grew up being forced to listen to the Beatles, which isn't such a bad thing to be forced to do, you might say that they came in through the bathroom window right? That they, they just kind of came in the side of this meeting that everybody is at. And they came in, Paul says, to spy out the freedom from the law that Paul was preaching and that Titus so vividly illustrated. Here again, we see that the growth is slow. The apostles of Jesus had been with Jesus for three years. And then after seeing him raised from the dead, they planted and pastored the church in Jerusalem and Judea for at least another 17 years before we get to this moment. And yet, and yet, they are still allowing these false brothers to have a place in the church. They are still struggling with the implications of the gospel. In fact, next week, as this story continues, we're going to see that they have a level of influence over Peter that causes him to not walk what he says with his mouth. And we'll get to that next week. I don't want to ruin that story. But in this moment, Paul is bullish. Paul says that he does not allow them even a gasp of air. 
Not for a minute are you going to come around and tell Paul that we don't have freedom in Christ and that we're not freed from the law of Moses. Paul was deeply, passionately concerned that the message of Jesus giving himself for our sins and delivering us from this present age wasn't muddled or muted by any legalistic requirements. God was slowly and carefully shaping the community of faith around the world. And the markers was not any external obedience. The markers was not any external sign or ritual. The marker of who is in the family of God was faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus, the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. Faith in Jesus, the the Son of Man born to crush the serpent. Faith in Jesus, the, the blessing of Abraham's family that was a blessing to the whole world. But Faith in Jesus who fulfills the law and breaks its power on our behalf. Faith in Jesus, the son of David, who reigns on his throne now and is pushing back the darkness of the world around us. This Jesus is good news for Jew and Gentile alike. And the way that we become a part of his family, a part of his kingdom, is through simple and even stammering faith. And any time, that we add requirements to entering God's family, we're acting like these false brothers here. When they added uh, law-keeping, Old Testament law-keeping to faith. But Paul does not budge. He doesn't give an inch. And the apostles agree with him. The apostles agree with Paul giving no quarter to these false teachers. They add nothing to his message. But they don't simply endorse Paul. They don't just accept that Titus is, is a real Christian. They actually draw up a plan together. God is at work in Judea through the ministry of Peter. God is doing something real through the apostles' ministry in the land of Judea. And God is doing something real. The Holy Spirit is really moving through Paul in these Gentile lands elsewhere. Let's keep that plan going. Let's keep this train moving. They don't buck against God what was doing. They don't try to control it. They don't tell Paul, you know, Paul, I know it's great that you found all of these pagans out there who are believing in Jesus, but why don't you stay here? You know, you used to be somebody here in Jerusalem. Why don't you hang out with the up-and-comers, the rich and famous? Why don't you rub shoulders with the Kiwanis Club of Jerusalem? And why don't you try to convert them? No, they look around and they see fruit in the ministry in Judea and say, those people who are getting fruit there, keep at it. Paul, you are seeing fruit around the world with the Gentiles. Keep going. And they have a handshake agreement on this. Now, this is not just sort of the, the handshake agreement that you might have at a Kiwanis club, at a business mixer. This is the holy agreement on how to divide the work of the kingdom of God. And this is instructive for us as Christians. This is instructive for us as a church. One of the reasons that we proclaim our faith through reading creeds and confessions is to remind ourselves that we're not the only church. God is at work in all corners of the world and even in all corners of our city. And there are going to be churches that do all sorts of different ministry around the city and around the world. And each one of them is going to be better at reaching different people. It's just sort of a fact of life. Each one of them is going to have a different emphasis on the way that they serve people around the city. City church is called to reach the people here in downtown. 
not Ruskin. The people in Ruskin need Jesus. And so there are churches there who are doing God's work. And this is not just okay. This is not just an okay thing that different churches are able to reach different people. This is a good thing. This is what the apostles see. God works in different ways through different bodies to reach different people. And that is good because God's church is not just localized into one local church. It's not just localized into one denomination. It's not just localized into the church in one country, no matter how many missionaries they might send out. No, God is working in a host of ways through his Holy Spirit. And the apostles see this and they decide that they're not going to try to control or harness it, but that they're going to get in line with what is already happening. But at the same time, we can't silo up as a Christian church. We can't think that just the people who, who worship like us or dress like us or watch shows like us are the good Christians. We can't sort of assert our own sort of cultural markers to the churches that are really doing things right. There is division of labor in the vineyard of God's kingdom, but we are all one family. This is why the apostles ask uh, Paul to remember the poor. That's why they ask him that. Now, it's not just a reminder that we as Christians should be generous, that we as Christians should be caring for those around us. No, it's, it's actually something more than simple generosity. When we started talking about this story here in Galatians, I made a reference that the end of Acts chapter 11 is the sort of narrative account of what Paul is talking about here. And what happens in Acts chapter 11 is a prophet Agabus says that there is coming a famine, and this famine is going to hit the whole world. And because the church in Judea and Jerusalem was particularly poverty-stricken, that meant that they were going to bear the brunt of this. And so the church in Antioch took up a collection of funds to send down to help their brothers and sisters in Christ in Judea, in Jerusalem. They were showing a Gentile church taking care of the physical needs of Jewish Christians in Jerusalem and Judea. They were showing that they were one body. They were showing that they were united by something greater than their ethnic boundaries, that something greater than the historic ways that Jews and Gentiles had been separated from one another. Our belief in Christ, our belief in Jesus as the Messiah bonds us together in a unique and holy way, in such a way that, that you have more in common with a believing Guatemalan farmer than your unbelieving neighbor. Because our faith in Christ is that central to who we are. And Paul says, that's why Paul says, that's the very thing I was eager to do. You might, you might, you could translate what Paul says here. Why do you think I'm here? I, I, I brought the monies to take care of the church. That's why I'm here. Paul understood that there was supposed to be a division of labor in the kingdom of God, but everybody was united as one single family. We are eternally bound to our brothers and sisters around the world, regardless what they believe on secondary doctrines, regardless what the, the sign on their church says. Faith in Christ binds us to Jesus and therefore to his body, which is more than just us. The thing that makes us family is our trust that Jesus has given himself for us to forgive our sins and to deliver us from this present age. But beloved, this happens slow. This is the work 
of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it takes time because it has to be cultivated. I, I have a rule uh, for myself uh, whenever I cook a meal for somebody coming over to my house. And it's a, it's a foolish and arbitrary rule that like, I don't know why I imposed it on myself, but I did, uh, which is if you come over to my house and I'm cooking for you, nothing will be microwaved. Like, like not even like soften the butter in the microwave, which is like a real pain. And I like strangely and legalistically like hold to this rule like for myself. But it's only when people are coming over, like when, when I'm cooking for my kids, like I will totally throw a bag of broccoli in the microwave and just like, yep, that's, that's your vegetable kids. Maybe you'll like it. Maybe you'll even eat it. Who knows? No, but one of the reasons I do this, one of the reasons why I, I enjoy this is the, the joy of cooking slowly, of coaxing flavors out of ingredients and turning them into dishes. Good cooking takes time. You can't rush a chili or a curry. You've got to let those flavors develop. Even a steak that you sear at super high heat for a super short amount of time needs to be salted hours before. It needs to come up to room temperature on the counter. And even after you've cooked it quickly, you need time for it to rest in order for it to be the best steak that it can be. This is the way of the gospel. God is working in us, coaxing the beauty of our story through his redemption, showing us our sin, reminding us when we see it that we are already fully forgiven. God is delivering us from this present age slowly, but certainly. I know that you might have your frustrations. Maybe it's with others. Maybe it's with doubts. But the God who works slowly in Paul's life to shape him over 17 years to prepare him for ministry is at work in your life. The God who worked slowly in the life of Peter, James, and John to show them how the gospel frees us from law-keeping, that same God is at work in you. The God who slowly coaxed the beauty out of Titus until he was ready to plant the church in Crete is at work in you. Let us look to the one who gave himself for our sins, who is delivering us from this present age. And let's trust in him for the slow growth as he is working in our lives. Let's pray.